Well, hello there, folks, and welcome to the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast, where we talk about all things Unreal Engine and also biting your thumb when the law is on your side. We're your hosts. My name's Alex. <laughs> and I'm Jacob. Well, that was a good one. I really appreciated that. <laughs> I'm reading Maybe. Romeo and Juliet to the kids right now. I'm surprised <laughs> how enraptured they are with the thing. They're five and seven years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, make sure if you liked Alex's intro that you like, <laughs> subscribe, comment, rate, whatever it is, wherever you're listening, watching, etc. Wow, this is, did your camera just freeze yeah we get a freeze went, frame there this early in the pod pretty good incredible. yeah i know right it's because I, I lose my signal if uh the battery's too low it's okay <laughs> I, want, I want everyone to know we we've been on this call 20 minutes and we jump on and all of a sudden it gets way more interesting so you, you guys are here for the good part let's, let's <laughs> say that yeah, I think we have to comment for anyone watching too, just our, our costumes. Usually we're in like uh, our standard Unreal Engine garb and without coordinating at all, I decided to go like Hugh Hefner silk pajamas yeah, yeah, and yeah. Jacobs in- I showed like, up with a Guinness and- uh, <laughs> Yeah, just a Guinness uh, and a, a trucker's hat and like, you know, different yeah. styles. <laughs> well, you know, we're, uh, we're making it work. Uh, but what are we talking about today, Alex? Ooh, we got some fun things to chat about. We've uh, got- some fun, fun, fun announcements about Unreal Engine 5.3, which seems to be imminent. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but usually if you download the source build of Unreal Engine from the GitHub and you go from the main branch, if it starts opening in 5.4, as it is doing now, that tells you that somewhere in the near future, uh, 5.3 will be coming out soon, which seems kind of crazy because uh, how long ago did 5.2 come out, Jacob? Not that long ago, 5.2 was released at what conference? <laughs> Around GDC, right? Around GDC, yeah. So March. that was March. Yeah. So it's been only three, four months. That's yeah. pretty crazy for a, a release of this size. And, and we're going to get into all the details here. I, I, I think there's so many interesting topics. I, I mean, those those of you who have listened to the podcast before will know that we love just scrolling through this you know these releases non-stop and just picking them apart but let us know let us know if you uh enjoy this process or if, or if you prefer we actually you know really dig into the code whatever it is you're interested <laughs> in i i love this though yeah, I, I certainly would love if we had the time and resources to do something kind of like um, what Steve Murphy has done in some talks like at Unreal Fest last year, where it's like, here's like a good like 30 second, you know, video or, or you know, tutorial inside Unreal of like each of these features, like quick tips. And yeah. uh, and here's what's so cool about this. But because we are lazier at the moment, um, <laughs> we are going to go through the public roadmap. And hopefully it is still interesting just to hear us riff on some of these upcoming <laughs> features. Sure, sure. Uh, Jacob, do you want to share your screen for our, our listeners who are uh, viewing? <laughs> and sure uh, and then you can kind of drive and we'll we'll just do a bit of a, a peanut gallery commentary on what we see. All right. Well, I mean, okay. Let, let's refresh people's memory real quick. So 5.2, there's a lot in here, right? Yeah. This, this was a big release. I mean, this is just the roadmap, right? So this is just the main key areas. Like if we went back and poked at that um, 5.2 release notes, I think some of you will remember that that was a page that you could scroll for like five minutes down and, and not stop, right? So I just just want to point out we're not we're not creating too many spoilers here. There's going to be a lot coming down the road um, that doesn't fit into this specific roadmap. But what we do know, looking at this, is the kind of key areas, the big release items, um, you know, th that kind of stuff. That this was a special release though, where I think they, I you you have to correct me if I'm wrong. Actually, no, PCG came was was announced at GDC along with the other things because i'm not even seeing things on here like uh um, ml deformer which i guess really didn't come until much later right so um let's jump in let's just jump in here cool so i mean right off the bat obviously we got lumen and nanite updates we've had these in pretty much every release but there's a pretty some pretty cool stuff here. So like Lumen, we get multi bounce reflections and you know continuous improvements. Um, I, I know you've been playing around a lot with Lumen, but um, 
a lot in, in VR, right? Yeah, that's right. And definitely the holy grail for um, VR would be for Lumen to uh, be able to do solid mirror reflections. And with the screenshot we're looking at right now, like those are looking pretty good. Like that, those are pretty clean, like chrome metal. And uh, and I already saw in the hillside sample, which released uh, about a month ago, that the reflections were getting much better. And, you know, ever since 5.0 came out, they've been saying ray tracing is deprecated. And it's like, okay, if yeah. it's deprecated, then we need to actually have something that's replacing it. But in the world of VR, um, I've still been doing a lot of projects in, you know, 4.27 with uh, with ray tracing for reflections, because that has still been the best bang for our buck in terms of quality um, mixed with performance. And I feel like with this 5.3 release, and we'll see more of these features uh, mentioned later here, that there is finally starting to be a, a level of quality and performance, importantly, with Lumen and Nanite that will allow uh, for things to work well in VR, where, of course, everything is up for more scrutiny. You can have something that's going to run great at 720p, um, and if that's the size everyone's seen it on, then, like, there's a lot of things you can hide. But as soon as you're going to let someone be in VR in, you know, 8K screens and yeah. you're letting them lean down and, like, expect something closely, you want to make sure that quality can hold up. For sure. Yeah. I, and honestly, these are the kinds of things that um, like, you, you know, multi-bounce reflections, I, I think really make the most sense for the kinds of use case. I mean, the kinds of use cases, A, they're showing here, but I'd imagine a lot of stuff you're working on where it's like you have a lot of highly metallic surfaces and, and you're de dealing with things like window, right? Like I haven't played too many games that have really, I felt needed something like this just because it, you know, the, the, the kind of entire genre is built around settings that don't use like Chrome and stuff like that. But I am really excited to see like, oh, well, if this gets really good and people stop kind of worrying about some of these concerns. Like, do we get new interesting environments? Do we get new types of games i i don't know i think it could be exciting and certainly in vr i have to imagine like every time you get this kind of update it unlocks a little bit of, of what you're imagining right yeah i mean if you're in a bathroom and it's a bathroom with a lot of metal and mirrors that might see each other like that's immediately a nightmare and if lumen can start to make that actually look pretty good um as you know it seems to imply in the screenshot here with multiple bounces and all that then i think we're going to be in really good shape yeah for sure. Uh, and I mean, to go along with that, uh, Path Tracer is something we brought up a lot. There's there's a bunch of updates here. Um, the big one, and we're going to, I guess, hit this a little later in the document, um, again, with Substrate. I know we mentioned this last time, too, but I, I think Substrate is a pretty interesting um, addition to the engine. It, it really adds a lot of tech for, for folks in the VFX world, static, static rendering, who need kind of final frame uh, kind of quality out of this. Um, there's a lot here that kind of shows that this is starting to really get towards production. So we're seeing, uh, you know, like volumes. And typically speaking, when you see support in any sort of path tracer or renderer for things like volumes or simulation or uh, some of the stuff they're talking about here, that usually means they're kind of nearing production because these are what you call like kind of nice to haves when it, in, in a lot of production because a lot of folks um, who are doing this level of production or this level of rendering are, are probably actually using other tools for a lot of their uh, volumetric. So that would be things like Houdini, you know, simulations. And and typically those things are, are are things either you'll render out separately, or maybe you were bringing them into Unreal to, to, you know, visualize, but you weren't necessarily rendering out these kinds of volumes. You know, yeah. this is clearly pointing out that they're getting to a point where like, oh, well, maybe you'll actually be able to do all this inside the engine. I think that's pretty cool um, where it's getting. I, I do as you know, avid listeners or viewers will know, still dislike the path tracer <laughs> and what it stands for. But overall, I think this is actually a really cool. What it stands for. It stands what for. What it stands for. Yeah, um, it, it, it's it's anti-real time, you know, it's, uh, it's weird. It's weird in my book. Yeah, I was reading a manifesto actually the other day called uh, Real Time or Death, which I, I think is very much part and parcel with your philosophy, yeah. Jacob. Um, yeah, on, I, on, I just, I, I don't like it. Uh, on the path tracing <laughs> note real quick too, I'll mention that, uh, our pal uh, Jay from JS Films uh, is currently demoing 
a four GPU setup from a company called Render Boxes. And there's all sorts of cool stuff you can do with that with like RTX uh, 6000s, the Ada Lovelace ones connected to something like NVIDIA Omniverse. In Unreal, there's not a lot you can do with it real time because of the fact that Unreal is still pretty biased toward favoring like one super fast core over like lots of distributed CPU cores, unless you really dig into the C++ code of it all. But he has done these really interesting comparisons, taking all those GPUs and all that horsepower to say like, let's crank out super, super high quality path traced renders of metahumans and environments and all that. And what I found, which is really fascinating is he'll be like, here's this 15 second animation and it took you know 20 hours to render with path tracing even with all this horsepower and let's compare that to like the the real time version or you know the just yeah. like lumen settings cranked up high but still something around like five seconds per render and it's not that different like it's, i think that's yeah yeah I, I that that's my point as well is like I, I, I get why they they're implementing the path tracer it checks the right boxes for you know the source of industries who are viewing unreal as a transformational tool yeah. and, and i get that um i think it's 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 important for them to execute on it but i think fundamentally it still goes against like the revolution that this started which is <laughs> all about no we're not going to do things that way we are going to really dig in on real time and there's all sorts of different ways to view real time uh, well, game engines really to uh, uh, in the context of like where they sit between other technologies. Like I saw a really interesting post from Tim Sweeney a while back that was like, well, actually, you could think of real time game engines as like 60, you know, uh, uh, like frames a second, like databases, which just have to query masses, massive amounts of data and process them. Um, you know, at, at this constant fast rate. And it's really, I mean, there is so much going on behind the scenes in these engines that have been developed specifically for that real-time component. And to take that and then say, no, we want it slower. We want it <laughs> not real-time is like, to, to me, kind of defeating the purpose. I, sure. I don't know. I, I'm probably belaboring the point, but I, I, I think it is, uh, you know, important to say. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, I, I, we skipped over a few things here too, like orthographic rendering. We were chatting a little bit about this before. Yeah. That's something that has been Unreal in Unreal for, forever, actually, but a lot of people lost track of it because it stayed relegated to the the matinee camera. Um, it never came over to the cine camera. So, you know, if you wanted to have like a proper, let's say like a key plan, if you're doing an architectural project, you would want to use the orthographic option from that older camera and then somehow combine that with um, a scene capture 2D component or something like that and um, have that render. But separately, I think it actually ends up on a separate rendering pass from um, everything else, if, especially yeah. if you're using the Cine camera. For, for those of uh, us who are not familiar, what is the difference between orthographic and a oh, sure. oh, perspective great question. camera? Yeah, so orthographic basically means uh, like true measurement. It's Greek for true measurement. No, uh, I, I'm trying to think about what ortho stands for. Graphic does mean something mm -hmm. like measurement. Mm -hmm. But basically, if the idea is that you could take a ruler and you could put that ruler anywhere on that image or that drawing, and you are seeing, you know, a a not necessarily a one to one uh, reference of measurements, but something consistent. It's like always one to 50 or something like that. One inch equals, um, you know, 50 feet or whatever the case may be. Because uh, of course, with perspective, you have things that recede into the background. With orthographic, there's no um, things getting smaller the further they are in the distance. Um, a foot is a foot is a foot, no matter where it is on the image. Yeah. And uh, for the record, you are spot on uh, in that orthographic does mean true or correct. Ah. <laughs> uh, so true true you know uh, uh true picture or something like i don't know i i, I guess that's funny i have no idea different. that ortho means true <laughs> yeah it's like true or correct I, I mean graphic or pertaining to drawing so yeah true true drawing you were spot on there all right from a from a rendering perspective it, it's exactly the same thing of course but it's like you know, from a camera, we talk about frustrums all, all the time where it's like, okay, you have a single point where like your virtual eyes are and you're drawing a line from that point 
uh, in kind of a, you know, a, a cone outwards, which re represents your line of sight, right? Like humans have your peripherals, you have a specific angular distance that you can view, right? Uh, my understanding, at least, is that orthographic is actually, you take a flat plane, which is the size of your image, mm -hmm. right? And you transmit a ray going yes. perpendicular to that plane out into the scene. And that's how you gather an orthographic view, right? Um, so it it's it probably seems more trivial than it is to implement <laughs> inside of a game engine. Um, and I am actually intrigued as to how much work went into this feature and and why it's just coming now, because I have to imagine this has probably been a request for a while. Um, but yeah, I, I, I bet it's probably not, it's, it's super not trivial to implement like Lumen and Nanite, all these things that require like uh, uh, depth and culling and all these other things. I, I have to imagine it's probably pretty tricky. Yeah, you're definitely giving me flashbacks, by the way, to my first year in architecture school where we were not allowed to touch a computer and to achieve, you know, good axonometric drawings, which is another form of like an orthographic drawing. There were all these like little tricks we had with our Mayline and our Mylar to like, you know, make everything like project in the right way to give true measurements. And um, yeah, it was fun, but I'm also glad I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when I... Um... I first picked up like a a graphics like engineering book. The the first ex I, I'm gonna totally botch this, but the first example they give is like, okay, you have a piece of paper, and above it you have a single point, and you tie some string to both sides, and your goal is to like try to draw things from one side of the camera to the other. Well, that transformation is like the perspective or whatever, and it goes crazy. And you're sitting there thinking like, oh, I just want to make pretty, pretty pictures, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know if I need to know all this, but of course it is important to understand. And I don't, I don't know. Now, you know, that true or orthographic means true, true drawing for sure. So yeah. you definitely aced it the first time. So, <laughs> all right. Um, what else? Then I, I just want to say I like this is a, a fine release, but this photo, I love this photo for some reason. I, I have no clue why. Like this bevel is so satisfying to me. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know why, but I guess I am used to seeing this kind of stuff. I, I'm pointing to a photo on the left that has like the 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 classic when when you bring in any sort of curved or beveled surface, you get like ambient occlusion almost on the corners where it like turns over or like the uvs i i don't know it's tangents yeah yeah tangents sorry yeah it's, it literally says it in front of me i'm, I'm <laughs> being stupid um the tangents at that corner get all messed up but this looks awesome um and there's a few other things like spline meshes which i think is pretty cool they, it's really like they could have stopped at nanite just being able to do like static geometry and everyone would have been happy but no they're like I know it has to work for this is down here like it has to work for landscapes it has to work for characters it has to work for foliage like yeah. it, I think it's just awesome how, how far out do you think we are from uh, skeletal meshes working with nanite that's a really good question I, I I don't know I it seems like the challenges are pretty complex there in terms of like I my limited understanding of nanite is that it it requires the screen space like component um, in the sense that like you need to be able to predict what portions of the mesh are visible at one time because you're resampling the mesh to like try to match up one triangle per pixel or whatever it is right yeah so I, I don't know how that would work inside of an animation system where you're like you're having to use either a physics engine or um, like you're you're doing transforms on like the mesh that are driven by the skeleton and not driven by other game logic or any other like game or like engine component. I don't know how that would work. It's, it seems incredibly complex, but um, I'm sure we'll get there. I, yeah. I would bet it's, we're probably only one or two releases away at this rate, you know, like uh, it's hard to say, but yeah, it's, it's so cool to see. Yeah. I think you're identifying the challenges, right? Cause I, I think about um, how so much of like Lumen and Nanite is based on, 
uh, things being static and like, um, what's it called? Mesh distance fields and this kind of yeah. wax sculpture you get of each object that is supposed to allow Unreal Engine to have a good approximation of like where something is going to be and how shadows will play off of it. And as soon as you start saying like, oh, but it's a wavy skeleton or it has like cloth simulation, yeah. that seems to make things way more complicated. Yeah, and and like I, I remember I was playing around with um, like the procedural mesh generation stuff with Nanite. And like it was definitely possible to do it in in real time, mm -hmm. but boy, did it chunk! Like oh, you, know, yeah. you would make a change, and it would still have to process all the geometry and like you know create the different level caches that it uses to you know uh, um, interpolate between. My understanding is also that Nana uses like different levels, uh, like it stores almost like. Uh, uh, um, similar to an LOD system, like it stores different layers of detail on disk and it's able to stream those in and, you know, just in time, so to speak. But like that information has to be stored somewhere and it has to be processed and it has to be like, so I, I'd imagine like if we see, for example, like skeletal meshes, it's going to be like the sort of thing where it's going to be limited to a specific number of joints or mm. we're going to see it just on a specific platform or it's going to be in a demo on ps5 <laughs> where it's like very well controlled right like uh, i think that seems possible but yeah it, it definitely seems complicated i mean already even with the city sample demo like if you zoom out and the way that the you know hundreds and hundreds of metahumans that can be walking along the streets become like billboards and um oh what's the term it's like uh where where there is an animation but it's like there's no more bones anymore there's all sorts of tricks going oh, on like, like vertex yeah. animations like uh, so like as you zoom out yeah there's uh, no i know what you're talking about yeah yeah and there's you know there's billboards with like pngs and everything and like there's so many tricks there to allow there to be uh, good performance with lots of skeletal meshes um in the scene and the answer right now is like well stop making them skeletal meshes at a certain distance but it'll be great when that becomes easier and more straightforward yeah i mean i'm sure the right people are on it right like this is a complicated oh, yeah. problem and the fact that they have pushed it this far and like i said it's just incredible yeah um i mean landscape seems to me like such an obvious awesome mm -hmm. use for nanite where it's like it's a it's something where i i remember where i when i was playing with unreal for the first time like i wanted i i went in there started building a terrain and i kept subdividing it because i was like oh well when i get close i can't like add any detail like how am i supposed to build something compelling or like a large world or something like that if like i can't increase geometry detail enough and well the real answer is like that's not really what you're supposed to do right like you're supposed to kind of rough out your terrain then you use like normal maps or you add in additional geometry to smooth it out or you know there's all these other techniques you would use um but like the fun thing is like going in there and grabbing a brush and just making huge big yeah. mountains and not worrying about like the geometry tearing or like I, I can imagine a future in UE with nanite landscapes where it's like the tools that you're using to edit it just just like in something like uh, ZBrush right like mm -hmm. you're able to increase the resolution as you're painting that detail onto the landscape so that you like a new user doesn't have to worry about those concerns and really can just kind of create what they're envisioning. So I, I think this is, is pretty cool. Yeah. By the way, did we, I can't recall, we talked in a previous podcast about the updates to um, Cesium, which now gives you like all of Google yeah. maps and all that. And that's, that's crazy because speaking about like landscapes and especially, I don't know if it, it uses Nanite or anything like that, but just the ability to be like, I'm out in space and now I'm zooming into this particular mountain range or whatever. And now it's just all there in Unreal, viewable in VR or in real time in some other capacity is is pretty mind boggling. Yeah, I, and we got to find that. I saw this on Twitter as well, um, that like Superman demo, right? Yeah. Where someone was like flying in. I'm going to see if I can find that. Because um, yeah, that, that was super cool. Um, we can finally have um, No Man's Sky, but in Unreal Engine. Yeah, exactly um yeah I, I mean that that's such a cool demo and i think like thinking about the sorts of applications that really like is incredible for is like a if you're doing simulation work like let's say you there are a lot of people for example who use unreal as 
synthetic data for training things like autonomous cars or yeah. drones or whatever it is, right? Like being able to just drop in a simulate, like drop in a, a let's say meter accurate scan of earth is, is unbelievable, right? Like the amount of things you can do with that um, and the, the, the kind of accessibility that gives, right? I, I, I just think that's incredible. Yeah. Cool. Let's go through some more features. Yeah. Uh, I'm just putting a note down here so I can see if I can find uh, find that video a little later. All right. Sure. Uh, what else? There's the XR. We kind of covered a little bit of that, right? Yeah. Uh, click um, click on it and I'll mention a couple of the cool things yeah. there. Uh, so XR, uh, gaze track fovea variable rate shading. So this is just another optimization that will deal more with where your eyes are looking, whether there is actually eye tracking like a MetaQuest Pro or an Apple Vision Pro. Again, no idea if it'll be supported uh, in Unreal Engine, but you know, knowing where the eyes are looking, you can also just say like, let's just assume people are looking straight ahead and um, change what gets rendered at what level of foveation or resolution based on that. So that's a nice little um, boost. Um, single pass stereo rendering for nanite and stereo improvements for lumen global illumination. These two things are things people have been begging for and waiting for since the first announcements of Unreal Engine 5, because Unreal Engine's done a pretty good job over the life cycle of Unreal Engine 4 of um, getting to the point where if you are in forward rendering path and you are rendering in VR, you can use instant stereo and all these things that really drastically simplify the amount of work that needs to be done to render both eyes. You are not actually rendering two separate render passes. It doesn't take twice as long to render uh, your left and your right eye is does to just render your left eye because of course there's a lot of things that are in common there and uh, until now not a lot of that has carried over into the deferred rendering path indirect x12 with lumen and nanite so even when i got so excited about you know the possibilities of lumen and nanite when 5.1 uh, had the first experimental versions of that it was not very easy to get um, good performance on that because you essentially did need to double the rendering cost and rendering speed, uh, or sorry, the rend yeah, just the rendering cost of how you were going to get um, all of that working. And so now, you know, the short version of, of what this is saying is like, hey, a lot of those improvements that you've seen in the past with VR, we're starting to bring a lot of those to Lumen and Nanite. So we should see some pretty drastic reductions in 5.3 in the, uh, the cost of rendering um, Lumen and Nanite in VR. Like right now, um, I'm probably, uh, you know, putting 15% of our VR projects um, into uh, Lumen and Nanite. The rest are still in forward rendering. A lot of them are still in 4.27 because it's just more stable and more reliable. I think with 5.3, we'll finally be able to get up to, I mean, ideally, you know, 60% of our of our projects could maybe start to move to 5.3 if the, um, the reflections that we we're looking at earlier are starting to get good enough and the speed that Lumen Nanite can render are starting to get a little bit closer to what we've seen in the past with standard LODs and you know light baking and forward shading and all that. Yeah. Um, and uh, a couple more things here, um, handheld AR improvements. That template has been like a little bit broken. Um, I've taught courses on the handheld AR template and it's um, been a little bit of a mess. It, it really didn't work in 5.1. It has some problems in 5.2. I'm glad to see in 5.3 that a lot of that is being fixed and working again. Um, we have a, a course that kind of combines like all the different samples that come from the AR template with, um, you know, a skeletal mesh and a, a 3D model and starting to trigger like different animations. And I'm excited for that to start to work well. Again, also looking toward a future where maybe this all works on Apple Vision Pro. Um, all those things in the handheld AR template are going to be really foundational for getting uh, a good Apple Vision Pro app out of Unreal Engine. Um, XR Scribe is something that Victor Broden actually teased back in February when him and I were on um, uh, Inside Unreal. Uh, it was a very long, you know, two and a half hour live stream. So it's totally fine that people did not catch everything we brought up. But I was mentioning this uh, product from NVIDIA. I, I did a little webinar on VCR, so virtual reality capture and replay, which basically allows you to take OpenXR data uh, from anything, from Unreal, from Unity, from anything, and record that all and then play it back. So then you don't need to always have your headset on. You can say like, I wanna dig into, you know, getting my snap turn to work correctly. So I'm going to record me doing the input and the head movement and all these things to test this. 
then I'm going to take my headset off and I'm going to keep modifying my blueprint code and I'm going to keep playing this back over and over again until it behaves the way I expect it to. Um, the spectator cam also being a great tool for that because you're playing back VR data and you can zoom out and see it from third person. So XR Scribe is um, something a lot like virtual reality caption replay. Um, this is native to Unreal Engine though and is going to be built right into the engine to allow you to um, record and then emulate the playback of different kinds of XR data using any kind of open XR headset. So that's very exciting, especially because I think this will work with um, Oculus, whereas uh, virtual reality caption replay from NVIDIA only works with Steam VR. Awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I don't have a whole lot to say on that, but <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm very excited to see more improvements here. I had no clue some of the issues you're talking about with, you know, like uh, how how bad the situation was with with rendering two totally different views. I, I think that's that's crazy. So uh, I hope this continues to improve. Uh, yeah. And I'm glad to see uh, they also mentioned in, in other improvements that it's going to be easier to just package um meta uh projects and i hope that that carries over into the MetaXR plugin which has been giving us such headaches like we can package to quest and all that totally fine if we literally just package directly to um the headset from the vr template as soon as we try to use the meta xr plugin from meta every time that plugin has released there's been some weird issues uh most recently i've had the problem with version 54 where it will either open up as a 2d app inside a quest headset instead of a vr one or it will only render in one eye so you know anything that starts to make all that more reliable or consistent is great yeah that's 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 crazy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um all right let's let's keep going here i i think one of the big ones is the skeletal editor yeah um i think this is very cool um so for those who kind of don't know the suite of tools that goes into like animation the kind of the 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 process goes that you build a some geometry or mesh um usually today a lot of that kind of work is done in something like ZBrush, usually you'll have your kind of foundational character models will be built in a modeling tool like Maya. Um, you'll take that, you'll bring it into something like ZBrush, you'll build additional layers of detail on top of that, or maybe you're just using MetaHuman these days, it depends. Um, you'll bring something like that into ZBrush where you'll, you know, add fine details, or maybe you'll create, you know, clothes or whatever it is um, for that character. And then you'll take that and usually you know you bake that down so you have a lower geometry version that has the high detailed like normals and tangents maybe that will change with nanite we'll see um you'll take that you'll bring it back into something like maya and once you're there you'll start painting on the blend uh, the the weights um or you know you'll start bu building your rig i should say first so you'll start laying out your skeleton and where the different joints of the character are and you'll set all that up and you'll probably build a huge a big rig around it meaning you know the different tools you use to animate on top of that and then you have to attach the skeleton to the actual geometry and that process is with a tool like this so painting weights means you essentially describe on your model and you paint it on how closely those specific vertices in the geometry should follow the underlying skeleton and the reasons for that is let's say you just had every vertex follow the movement of the skeleton you'd get terrible issues with joints when they move and overlapping you know skin and bones it, it would not work very well all right so you got to paint these things on but what we just went through was like okay well you got to go from maya then you got to go to zbrush then you got to go back to maya and then you got to bring that into unreal and then you can start you know working really in reality you got to start animating maybe you got to start simulating so there's a few other jumps in there right with this the idea is okay let's say you take you have your height high resolution, you know, character model out of something like ZBrush, um, or, you know, you're, you're using some other pipeline to generate the geometry, you bring that into Unreal, you can now 
procedurally rig it with control rig or manually rig it, of course. Um, it has full IK tools. You don't have to worry about setting all that up after the fact in Unreal. And now you can also paint the blend weight. So you don't even have to, you know, you don't have to export this back out. You don't have to worry about anything. The skeleton gets set up. You can retarget it. Like if you already have a skeleton set up for similar characters, like it's all there, right? Um, so I think this is super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the modeling tool set has been great. And uh, just the ability to open up static meshes and adjust all sorts of things about them um, has really been wonderful. But anyone who's been like, oh, cool, let me also do that to my metahuman um, gets sorely disappointed to see that they cannot access any of those tools with um, a skeletal mesh. So yeah, this is all much appreciated. For sure. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's, I think this is an awesome tool. I, you know, we've talked about this before, how much content they're putting in the editor. This is another example of that, right? Yeah. Although, as I said that out loud, it did just occur to me, like, so yeah, this is all very specific to skeletal meshes, all the blend weights and everything. Will skeleton meshes, skeletal meshes actually be something you could modify the, you know, geometry of? Could you actually add like noise or, or deform a skeletal mesh in any way? Inside of something like this? Yeah, because that um, seems like a different tool, actually. Yeah, that's not really what this would be yeah. for. Um, it does say you can add and remove bones, and like there's some stuff in here. Um, but like in terms of like geometry painting, like you would do in something like ZBrush, that's not really something you can do inside of Unreal yet. Mm -hmm. um, I say yet because I've been wrong before about saying, oh, that doesn't really <laughs> make sense for Unreal. And then they just go out and build it anyways. Like they built the whole modeling tool set and there's a lot in here right yeah um but uh no that that's not something that exists now um it like zbrush i think is a an industry standard tool for a reason and that is like it's a really good solution for the the kind of work that that people are doing today and, and i i don't feel like it's enough friction for epic to come in and say like oh well we need to come develop our own tool yeah um so it maybe doesn't make sense maybe they develop something like that i mean it's not a huge jump to go from this to like being able to adjust the the mesh but like you know uh, um like sculpting and stuff like that i think is out of scope yeah that makes sense yeah. um there's a lot of other stuff here i want to we've we've already I mean, there's so much cool stuff here, so it's <laughs> not going to have enough time for everything. Uh, let's do a do, quick lightning round, yeah. Yeah, a, a quick lightning round on the virtual production slides here. First one, Simpty 2110. This is super nerdy. Um, <laughs> but what it does do is let you do end display over IP um, uh -huh. with the ability to do synchronization also over that same, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, networking which is awesome because that means like you can actually do this uh, either remotely um you, you know you don't have your have to have your symptom uh, all your systems um kind of coordinated with like nvidia's proprietary cars or over the same like in the same physical system or using some you know windowed you know kind of like a windows manager for creating mega displays or whatever it is um, you cannot do that all over IP, and it's there's some added benefits that get thrown in here along with it. And that's a pretty cool one. Virtual cameras, we've mentioned this before. This is really cool. It's for you can do this with pixel streaming as well, um, where it's a uh, um, actually this might be even different from what I was thinking it was. I, I just looked at this again, and it looks completely different from that when I was expecting. But I assume it's pretty similar to what we saw with a virtual camera for like pixel streaming. Um, multiple output providers for a single VCAM component. Um, HUD and stream, you can stream and operate you. Uh, now, I, maybe this is pretty similar. I, I want to take a, a deeper look at this though, because it does look like maybe there's some added features here I wasn't expecting. Mm -hmm. um, but this is a lightning round, so we're going to keep moving. Uh, yeah. And then the Cine Capture component, this is actually a really cool one. Um, it, Alex, do you want to take take the, the the lightning round on this one? 
Yeah, so uh, we've had a, a scene capture component 2D uh, for a long time, and that's basically how you get things like the spectator camera view in VR. It's how you would set up a key plan. It's how you would um, do something like a crossfade between two different camera views. Um, the problem has been that that scene capture component 2D has, like what we were talking about earlier with if you want to be orthographic, it uses kind of that old matinee version of the camera, which doesn't give you all the bells and whistles of the cine camera. You don't have uh, focus and um, and tracking and and you know all these things about your your f stops and and uh, aperture and things like that. And so now, what this is starting to allow for is that same ability to kind of like capture what a cine camera is seeing and bring it to a render texture, which then can be used for all sorts of things, you know, broadcast onto a material or sending that data out uh, via pixel streaming, all sorts of other things. So very exciting. Yeah. It's just uh, one of the things you thought you already had in the engine and, <laughs> you know, it wasn't quite right. Um, all right. What, what else we got? more niagara fluid stuff i mean this stuff looks so cool yeah um but being able to import um uh, sparse volume textures uh which means you can uh you can you know import new types of simulations and read and write that data mm -hmm. uh, in real time which is super cool um what else we got there's man there's so much stuff here i know I, usd yeah we got new Lots usd, USD capabilities stuff. you're now able to um, import geometry caches and animate directly in sequencer and it's persistent it saves directly to the usd file you don't have to do any translation which is pretty awesome we got material x support which i think was already supported in a nvidia plugin for a while mm -hmm. um, but material x is what what is uh uh up and coming as a standard um, along with USD for material definitions. Um, you can now have multiple UVs, um, UV sets in a single US uh, in a single USD file loaded into the engine, which is sweet. Um, all right, what else we got? Data assets. We were talking a little bit about data assets before we started. Uh, there's a lot, uh, uh, I, I guess, there that I, I, I haven't even touched inside the engine. So, yeah. Oh, one we hopped over that I, I think we wanted to mention briefly oh, yeah. is, is common UI. Um, and for the screenshot for that one, they're showing the um, the UI that comes with the Lyra sample with the multiplayer um, EOS game. And uh, I think the idea here is they want to allow a very straightforward way to uh, have kind of be like all your standard, like what's the resolution, what settings are on and off. Um, and then having like the buttons and everything there be very modular and easy to bring from one project to another. They do mention um, using the enhanced input system, which again, helps to migrate input very easily from one project to another. So uh, I'm excited to to check this out because I can't tell you how many times I've recreated like a basic UI system from project to project to project, yeah. just because there was some weird little finicky thing that was making it hard to migrate. Yeah, it seems like for a lot of stuff like, you know, graphic settings or, you know, that they're showing here and, and you know, UI that's not necessarily directly involved in your game. Mm -hmm. This seems like an obvious, like, quality of life thing where it's like, you should not have to recreate, like, recreate the wheel to, like, manage rendering settings that are common to the engine. Like, exactly. that stuff, and that's what I'm seeing in the screenshot. I, I'm sure it extends beyond that. But, like, that stuff to me makes a lot of sense. Whereas like the stuff you would traditionally do in UMG with like, you know, your your magazine ammo counter or in your <laughs> FPS or, you know, whatever it is, like that's probably pretty unique. Yeah. But this seems like it should have, again, another one, another one of those things where it's like, oh, I thought this was already in the engine. But you're like, yeah. you look at the UMG components and they're all pretty basic and not super designed or useful. Yeah. And the number of times people say like, can't I just have a button that will like automatically figure out how powerful my computer is and set Unreal Engine's quality settings based on that? Like that is a thing you can do, um, but not a lot of developers take the time to do that. And the fact that even in the screenshot here, again, I think this is from Lyra, but there is a button for auto set auto quality. Set, like yeah. click that button and it's going to kind of do its best to figure out um, what is going to work well for you. A, a lot like what you see in the editor where you can kind of have it decide epic or cinematic or high or whatever it's going to use yeah I, I mean i i'm pretty curious how some of those mechanisms work but like yeah. i feel like you you could have hacked this together with just For like sure. 
a, a tick me <laughs> measuring how long each frame is taking and oh, know, yeah. a couple uh, a couple of quality settings you know like uh, uh, blueprint nodes but it's that kind of thing where it's like that boilerplate stuff is so so annoying to have to do for every project right yep <laughs> all right what else we got i i think we covered most yeah there's a couple the more at the bottom here. i want to touch on briefly oh, sure um, ba -ba 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 -ba. um blueprint type change auto casting now i want to test this but i think this is actually like a nice little thing like people tell me all the time oh i should be using um interfaces um more than the casting the way i'm using it but for the fact that i am using casting a lot this seems like a nice little quality of life improvement because um I, it's basically removing a step like it kind of automatically seems to set up a cast instead of you having to um take the time to figure out like what exactly you're casting to it's hard to explain without actually being in blueprints but if this is doing what i think it's doing it's definitely the kind of thing that will um save a lot of clicks especially because casting is usually one of those places where i just make a dumb mistake and it breaks the whole blueprint but not in an obvious way <laughs> yeah and this this seems like a great quality of life thing um i'm not even sure i fully understand the note here um but yeah, I, I would love to see this in action. I, I remember all the times I jumped into blueprints and all of a sudden it's like that one little thing that makes your life so much easier. And this yeah. is those things. Exactly. Um, then the other couple of things I wanted to mention at the bottom are, um, well, I think the only other one was just um, the collaborative viewer template, which I, I am such an evangelist for. Um, I, I made sure that there was a class about it at Unreal Fest last year. Um, I was going to teach it, then I handed it off to Simon uh, Blakeney, who's awesome. And this is a template that has been in Unreal Engine for a long time, but it has uh, out-of-the-box multiplayer and out-of-the-blocks, out-of-the-blocks parody, <laughs> where it will work in both VR and desktop mode and there's like a fly mode and an orbit mode and all sorts of like markup features and uh it's been lagging behind some of the other templates in terms of the enhanced input system which as i just mentioned um is great because it allows you to easily migrate um all sorts of different input and modes into something um without uh having to deal with like going into an any file and adjusting anything there so it's nice to see the collaborative viewer getting a, a good update for 5.3 yeah that's awesome all right. Did we make it? Did I we make so. it through? I, uh, oh, I know we just wanted to mention that the anamorphic lens calibration stuff, that's something a oh, lot yeah. of cinematographers are really excited about. Um, I've not played a lot with anamorphic lenses, but yeah. it's been a, a feature request for a long time. Um, Man, yeah, okay. There, there's so much in here. Well, like somewhere else I saw, well, yeah i think we we get the idea that there's so much content here i'm sure we'll we'll have to dedicate a whole episode to when this actually releases and there's you know a thousand other things in this release uh but yeah yeah this is awesome um super quick thing i'll also mention about um oh i just saw hair hair is cool by the way now hair is actually working properly in vr in stereo it wasn't before uh so that's cool it doesn't seem to crash the engine as much and one other thing about the enhanced input system which i i clearly could uh rattle on about for a long time um the electric dream sample for the by the way i, I might have mentioned this in the last podcast but it was so easy to sit there with my kids and they were like so blown away by this uh lush environment and for them to say like oh can can we drive in this environment and i was like why yes you can and you know there was this rivian car but it's not there anymore so all we need to do is just add in the automotive template and like all the input and all the pawns and everything comes with it and now you can drive if you want to see it in vr we'll add the vr template do you want to see it in third person mode we add the third person template and before enhanced input input that was a non-trivial task. It was actually very difficult to set up all those different templates with all the input and everything casting correctly. Um, now it's it's very, very straightforward. It takes 10 seconds to uh, set up those different game modes. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah I still want my Rivian, man. Like, when, I know. Are, they, when are they gonna put that in the marketplace? Like I'd pay, I'd pay a few bucks to Me too. <laughs> drive the Rivian around the, the demo. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a ton of PCG stuff we didn't talk about. Um, continues to be clearly a, a huge area of focus. Yeah. Um, yeah. External da data from PCG, you can use point clouds, um, which is really cool. I mean, I'm sure there's way more here, but we'll we'll have to get it get to it to an, in a, in another episode. Yeah. All right. Believe it or not, though, we got other things to talk about, too, don't we? Few, yeah, just a few things. Um, so I had a, a, a lightning trip to Austin 
Um, I left on, uh, <laughs> so I was supposed to leave on Thursday of last week uh, at noon and delay, 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 ended up leaving at like 1130 at night. I arrived at my hotel at about 4 a.m. And within 24 hours of that, I was on my way out of Austin. Um, the reason for that was there was a, a very special VIP guest who will go unnamed at our uh, big VR project that is in Austin. And um, he gave us a lot of excellent feedback for what we built, which uh, I've mentioned briefly on the podcast before is this giant showroom. It's about 5,200 square feet. It's got MetaQuest Pros with special, you know, OptiTrack setups to have like a local multiplayer experience. It's using ray traced VR. Um, a, a lot of super smart people have come together to make this thing happen. But special VIP, who I flew all the way to Austin just to hear feedback from, uh, did say it was the best VR experience of that type that he'd ever seen in his life, which was very validating and very exciting and uh, totally made the trip worth it, despite the fact that it was it was yeah. so short. Um, and then I immediately flew into Boston, uh, hung out with a couple of people in Boston, and then spent the last few days in Cape Cod uh, with the family for the 4th of July and surprisingly talked a lot about a lot of un nerdy Unreal Engine stuff. Uh, which I wouldn't expect, especially with uh, a three, five, and seven-year-old to boot. <laughs> well, you, you, you've gotten them started young, man. I, I mean, you they they've uh, they've built games, right? Yeah, <laughs> they have very silly games. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention too is while uh, we, I was at the airport, I was with my colleague June, and we started to play with the in-world AI plugin more, uh, which I think I gave a brief shout out to in a, a previous podcast. We'd done this project for uh, Vodafone with Infinite Reality. It was a pixel streaming project um, out in London for London Tech Week. And it was, you know, a metahuman talking about this car and you can ask it questions in a natural voice. And it's like a pretty natural reaction. So while at the airport with like, bad audio, bad internet. We just started to mess with this. And we took our Charles Dickens metahuman, which is usually performed live by Ari Tar for our production of A Christmas Carol. And uh, we gave it like a personality. We filled all this in in the in-world um, website. And then we brought it into our, our Charles Dickens metahuman. And we just started to talk to it. We also trained it on my voice. Like I was there in the airport and I just recorded like a minute and a half of me blathering wow. on about something. And the interesting thing is when we gave it that audio to, to digest, it sounded like there were like a thousand other little people inside my throat because it heard all the background noise and thought that that was just a quality of my voice. Uh, so that was trippy. And then what we did is like, oh, well, we can just grab one of Alex's like tutorials. So we grabbed my like 90 second MetaHuman animator getting started video, grabbed the audio from that and got an AI voice that spoke pretty naturally, sounded a lot like me, and knew a lot about, you know, Christmas Carol and our particular production. And we had conversations about like VR versus stereoscopes. And the latency is much, much, much lower than something like ChatGPT, even with a, a crappy yeah. uh, internet connection. So I'm like super high right now thinking about all the possibilities for like immersive theater and of course video games and all the ways that you can start to build out these interesting characters that are, you know, 90% of the time in AI, but also at any given moment, you could have a live performer tag teaming in as one of them. And like, maybe people don't always notice like exactly when that's happening. So suddenly when they yeah, like look cool. right at you and they're like, Jacob, what do you think about this? And suddenly you're like very aware that you're not talking to an AI. Um, passing that Turing test will be really exciting. <laughs> yeah, the, there was a uh, an announcement this week from uh, one of these big AI companies um, called Inflection and they have an app called the pie where you can now call it like you would anyone else like there's a little button where it's like a phone call ah. and you pick it up and you talk and it's like completely conversational i feel like it, you, you would gain some inspiration from it but it's really really cool and very convincing um i i was pretty surprised because i haven't seen some of those demos that you've been working on and i i haven't seen enough demos of like game ai in, in that sense but it seems so cool yeah love it um i also want to give a quick shout out to the madison square gardens interactive teams uh sphere project out in las uh, vegas uh this just opened the other night you still there's still nothing going on in the interior i think the first actual show is going to be uh u2 and that'll be in september but they finally started lighting up the outside and uh, yeah, it's a great so use of Unreal Engine with, you know, as far as I know, and display configs. Um, I was fortunate to be chatting with the team who was responsible for designing and building this. 
all the way back in 2019. And so this was before there was like all this discussion of, you know, virtual production and the Mandalorian and all that. It hadn't quite hit that inflection point yet. So those conversations were very much about like, yeah, it'll probably be done in Unity. There's a lot of stuff that will, will never have been done before. But, you know, end display and, and a lot of the out of the box stuff you get with Unreal Engine now makes it possible to have uh, these really cool little spinny, you know, moons, globes, uh, weird, you know, pulsing. Um, uh, yeah, you, you got to find some, if you're listening to the podcast or, or you know, you're wa watching it, you got to find some videos of the different scenes that they've built for this because it is really, uh, it's a bit trippy um, to see displays of this quality of that scale. Yeah. Um, like it, it, yeah it's just unlike <laughs> anything yeah it it's huge and i, I don't know i want to see it in person I, I really want to see it in person i will say um it might not bring me all the way to vegas but if i was in vegas i would make a point just to sit and stare at it for a few minutes right i, I think i might be speaking at autodesk university this year i i've yeah. been debating whether or not to accept the invitation but i think the opportunity to see this in person might actually be enough to bring me yeah it's it's so cool yeah. Um, one other thing I, I, I meant to also chat about, and uh, I, I'll, I'll let this video play first, <laughs> is Unreal Fest uh, Australia, which happened recently. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so shout out to the folks who, who attended that event. There were uh, a, a few reports back that I heard that it was a great time. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, look at some of these. Sorry, we're, we're watching this video. For, for those of you who are listening, we're watching a video <laughs> of all the different graphics. And yeah, man, it's it's awesome. Yeah. Um. Do you know, Jacob, if the videos from Unreal Fest uh, in Australia are, are posted online yet? Um. I don't believe they are yet. Yeah. I'll look forward to that because it did look like there were some really great talks. Um. It'll be neat to check that out. For and, sure. Uh, and hopefully, we're we're going to find out soon what the schedule is going to look like for October at uh, the stateside Unreal Fest back in new orleans yeah i mean i'm sad to say my my talk already got rejected but oh, I, no. I i i can't oh, be too upset because i submitted uh, it like the same day as the deadline yeah and i have to imagine they it was they a bunch of us made it easy enough for them to say hey you know all these kind of late submissions will you know we'll we'll forget those but uh yeah i i, I am sad to say i won't have a presentation so i'll just have to heckle you again this year <laughs> uh, hopefully you don't have the the two hour you know with a lunch break you know, like you yeah. last year yeah I, i'm pretty sure that my unreal fest will be talking about this austin project with some of the fine yeah. folks who helped make it happen uh and then teaching metahuman animator in the lab so that'll yeah. be enough for me one hour each <laughs> cool cool um any shout outs you want to give anything like that jacob shout outs um oh yeah i did find the person with that um with that awesome um cesium de demo ah goes by axl r-o-z-z s-h-d-w which <laughs> right. i assume is axel Roz shadow love it if you're pronouncing it phonetically um and we will drop this link in the show notes for you to check out um but yeah, it's it's an awesome um, video of this guy flying around uh, a cesium, you know, uh, world. And yeah, mm -hmm. it's awesome. You got to check it out. We'll attach that in the show notes. So that that's my first shout out. Yeah, um, I wanted to give a shout out to this plugin called Liquigen, uh, Liquid and then Gen G E N, which seems to be a really impressive real time fluid simulation um, setup with a whole like its own like blueprint node graph kind of setup. And uh, the way it connects to Unreal is pretty cool. Um, looking forward to messing with that more. And um, yeah, yeah, I I think that's just about it for me. I, I I'm sure I've seen lots of other stuff. Oh, uh, one other thing. Um, there, the folks over at Odyssey, who are uh, they're a pixel streaming platform. They've done some really cool stuff with like you know, being able to um, put together your own kind of uh, experience and world and kind of simplifying the editor. It's a really cool experience. Go check them out. They just launched their product recently. 
um and it's really cool so that's another shout out for me is the team over at odyssey um it's all an unreal engine of course um yeah. so uh, go check that out uh it's pretty cool Ooh, speaking of shout outs i was very sad to see today that uh furios is closing yeah uh, furios was the very first platform that i ever pixel streamed an unreal engine experience on it would have been like back in geez maybe 2017 or so um it was they were still in beta they hadn't been acquired by unity yet and i was like this is amazing this is the future i was so excited about what that was going to entail yeah and then they're bought by unity and i noticed their like social media kind of went dark um i i didn't know much about what was going on behind the scenes and then today i got an email saying that in 90 yeah. days all their services are going to shut down so you know yeah. rest in peace furios yeah that's that's unfortunate um I get the feeling it was just becoming too expensive for them to operate. Yeah. I, don't know. I and I have to say like it, uh, this is going to sound like I'm throwing shade at Unity and I am a little bit but like I I can't help but comment on the difference between when Epic Games acquires a company and what happens when Unity yeah. acquires a company like when Epic acquires companies like Cubic Motion and Three Lateral, you know, they combine their expertise and those teams with their digital humans team and they come out with something like metahuman creator yeah. you know epic acquires companies like megascans and sketchfab and now we see all the stuff that's happening with fab this like integrated marketplace that's built into the engine and has all this incredible 3d content and i'd imagine that like if epic games had acquired furios for example rather than kind of being left out to dry as, as what seems to have happened they probably would have like had the furios team talking to the tensorworks team and like starting to build yeah. you know a lot of new features into the pixel streaming capabilities of unreal that would have benefited the whole community and this could be totally wishful thinking but like in yeah. general i feel like epic games does a great job of integrating the companies they acquire into existing teams and producing really killer projects out of that that benefit the whole community <laughs> they totally do and it's really impressive how well executed their acquisitions have been I, I mean no doubt about that like i remember we're I, thinking about unity when they acquired parsec which for those who don't know it's like a um you know remote workstation solution or it used to be where you share your gaming pc with friends and you can kind of all play like arcade games and then it became a remote workstation you know solution or remote access solution um and they acquired that and, and my initial thought was oh well this is pretty cool like there's some interesting stuff they could do here maybe they're trying to build you know become more solution or enterprise focus as a company and really i haven't heard anything new like we still don't even have a linux uh client for for parsec like it supports hdr now which is fun you know doesn't work on anyone's internet <laughs> so like i don't know it definitely seems like there is a, a different level of execution that goes into to epic's acquisitions or or maybe epic is just uh, uh more focused on their goals at the moment because they kind of have a a pretty clear roadmap i think compared to unity um so yeah worth mentioning man um two more quick shout outs before we say good night to everyone uh, one, I'll be in VR Toronto. Be, I was going to say I'll be in Toronto. I will be <laughs> at Toronto from uh, July 16th until the 20th. VR Toronto is July 19th and 20th. Um, it's going to be a really cool event with a lot of super smart people across the VR industries, uh, you know, theater and entertainment and games. Uh, a lot of folks who I've only known virtually, I'll finally get to see for the first time there. Um, come say hi if you're around Toronto. I'm going to try to set up some meetings with companies like, you know, Pixamondo and yep. uh, cool folks like that in the area. Um, and we'll have all sorts of demos. I'll do a, a keynote on the main stage. Um, I'm going to do a nice live metahuman demo with Ari Tar. Uh, I'll show off some of our AI stuff. Um, and um, yeah, I'll be hanging out. So come say hi to that. Lastly, ready, Jacob? I have a little oh, bit ready. of a, a brag. Um, not tomorrow, but early, early Saturday morning. Uh, this is something that I just found out about like less than a week ago. Uh, I'll be leaving out of Westchester Airport uh, at 9 a.m., and I'll be arriving in Orlando uh, around noon. And is, is be... this going to be something about Disney or are you going to yeah. like, oh, geez, <laughs> I will be going to Galactic Star Cruiser, uh, oh. which is closing in a few months. So it's very hard to get tickets It like immediately sold out once they announced that they weren't going to be keeping this around forever. Um, a friend of mine, David Liu, was able to secure tickets. 
Um, and he just basically said, hey, anyone want to come? And so I volunteered and grabbed some other folks uh, from my oh. company who have been suffering out in Austin, you know, marooned there for a while. And we're all going to go and be Star Wars characters for a couple of days. And it is absolutely a work trip because we are going to be studying all of the immersive theater work being done there. We're going to be brainstorming how this can be done with in-world AI characters and, you know, how many live actors would you actually need to do like a VR version of the show? But I will be dressing in a... I Arkina 5 prison uniform and I've got a cool Star Wars name and I'm going to build my own lightsaber and it's going to be great. <laughs> I am so jealous. This is <laughs> devastating. Um, I, I've i wanted to go since that thing opened. I've, I, I've wanted to just go to Disney for years since I went for the first time, essentially. Yeah. I, I became an instant fan. But when they opened the Star Wars hotel, I was like, man, I got to go to that. And yeah. A, of course, it was it's expensive, so it wasn't like an easy choice. I was like, oh, I'll be around, I'll figure it out. And then when they announced their closing, I was like, ah, and then I knew like two or three people before you told me who all went and immediately bought tickets, and I was so jealous. And I that's devastating, but I will want to hear about it. Yeah, I, I'm sure we can take a big chunk of uh, our, <laughs> our next episode to just discuss what happened. And it's nice, too, that it there isn't as much like spoiler concern now because it's like, well, it's closing soon. So, like, yeah. why not just talk openly about all the cool things going on and uh, give people a little bit of a, a vicarious sense of what it's like to be there? Yeah, there's some Unreal Engine in there. There is. Yeah. So, see, it's totally relevant to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what you can say is Unreal Engine or not, but there, there is. Yeah, I mean, and that, again, it goes back to our Apple Vision Pro discussion of like, yeah. there's so much Unreal Engine being used across Disney as a company. Like, it'd be crazy if they literally make it impossible for Unreal Engine to be inside that headset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be That would be stupid. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, a classic. Actually, this might be a little less than an hour 20. We, we might have made it Ooh. a solid one hour podcast this week. <laughs> incredible um but thank you everyone for listening make sure you like rate subscribe comment whatever it is we'd love we love the feedback we've gotten in the past and in, in the comments um keep believing it keep keep uh letting us know what you what you'd like us to talk about if you want some deep dives if you want something else we're we're all ears and we're trying to do this more regularly we have a schedule now <laughs> kind of <laughs> kind of kind of immediately so, we set the schedule and we're like oh our next episode is july 4th that doesn't yeah. work oh <laughs> uh, that didn't work no the, there was some serious oversight but uh we're gonna try to do it more often and we really appreciate everyone who's listening in so without further ado good night one way out <laughs> is what i will find some excuse to chant at some point bye everyone mm -hmm.